Hi, Carrie. Hey, Parker. How are you today? That's a complicated question and a big answer. It is, isn't it? Because we're living in a time when the pandemic is coming down on us. A lot of us are hurting and fearful. So I think on today's podcast, we want to ask that question seriously. How are you? and explore all the different angles that you and I are are feeling and perhaps others are as well. Welcome to The Growing Edge. I'm Carrie Newcomer. And I'm Parker Palmer. To the words and habit between us And to us and how we live between the words So I guess there's a a few things I'd kind of like to say right up front. Um, First of all, that we're amateurs when it comes to medicine or public health issues. We are navigating this just like everyone else um, and exploring this and hopefully exploring this together with you and I and with the folks who are listening. Right. We want to share this uh, exploration with our fellow citizens um, as we together try to find our way through uh, really serious difficulties that no one has ever seen in in their lifetime in, in our generation. And as we talk about finding our way through, I know this is true for both of us, Carrie, we are acutely aware that we are in a very privileged position um, we neither one of us has a workplace we have to report to. We we work from home, and so self quarantining and continuing to do our work is really not a problem for us. And we don't have to worry about how to put food on the table tonight or tomorrow for our families or how to pay next month's rent. So we approach this with real humility. Um, but also with a sense that we, from personal experience of loss and and limitation, we can understand at least a little bit of what a lot of people are going through. Well, uh, I should qualify that, that uh, I'm a performing musician, and so uh, all my shows have been canceled for the next couple months. So that is different. It is a a big thing. And so many lines and vocations and lines of work are are encountering real disruption that way. Um, But when I'm not on the road, I'm home. So I I do uh, really agree with you with with all you said in terms of um, wanting to be acutely aware of that uh, as we go forward with kind of great respect for people who are in vocations that they can't just quarantine right now. Absolutely. And and having said that, maybe we the big frame that um, I'll, I, I'd like to put on this is, is to think for a moment about the word apocalypse, which is a word that's on a lot of people's lips right now. This feels apocalyptic. This feels like some sort of end time. And I'm, my best guess is that it is an end time for certain features of life on this planet and life in this country. But I, but it's important to me to remember that the word apocalypse, which we usually use in a very negative way or a scary way, 
actually means revelation. In, in, its, in its Greek root, it means to uncover or reveal. And as I've been working my way into this as a person who's 81 years old, has underlying health conditions, and therefore is in a high-risk category uh, at which a lot of messages are being addressed, um, I've, I've really found it helpful to ask myself, what is being revealed in this time about me, about my view of other people, life on the planet, um, about my understanding of the political process and my engagement in it as a citizen. I mean, it's from soup to nuts. It's from A to Z. Um, what, it, what seems to me to be being revealed. And I find that as I do my best to get beyond my fear and to learn from what's happening, there's real comfort in the learning process. Learning has always been therapeutic for me, and it's turning out to be so even under these extraordinary circumstances. You know, I love that, Parker. Thank you for really, you know, looking at the word apocalypse, because I've been hearing that word kind of tossed around a lot. And the idea of what does this reveal? What does this uncover? And um, and I think it is uncovering a lot from things that are happening personally for each one of us, but but also, you know, where are the holes in our system, in our safety net system? Where we're uncovering some places where things are not working. So, so there's a lot of ways of that that idea of uncovering and revelation and what's being revealed and learning from it. I think is going to be very important. Yeah, I, I think so too, Carrie. Um, and I think by the time this podcast is over, we will have touched on some of those big picture questions. But if I may, I'd, I'd like to do what I always find so valuable to do with you and other dear friends. And that's to, that's to re-ask the question, how are you? Uh, which is a question we often flip off without really listening to the answer. But I'd like to know, how you're entering into this experience of pandemic and all that it brings, and what are some of the initial insights, understandings, learnings for you, and how do you understand where they're coming from? Well, you know, there are different levels of that. There's the personal, and there's what's being revealed, and I'm learning on on, on different levels, you know, uh, on the community, on the global, but on the personal level, I've been really appreciating that people have been asking, how are you? And they actually mean it. I mean, that's really important, I think, for each one of us to ask that and to be asked and to have it be a real question. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you, Parker. I appreciate that. Um, you know, on on a personal level, there's moments when uh, I'm feeling very uncertain Human beings are kind of hardwired for certainty. You know, we, we like to feel safe. There's a part in our, our amygdala in our brain that says, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? That's what we do. It's very human. And so, you know, there's there's been moments when I've had to look at anxiety, look at the unknown and the uncertain. And, you know, I've had to think about the skills that I've, I've acquired um, at other points in my life to deal with you know, 
different kinds of emotions, uh, anxiety, uh, uncertainty. I think for most of us, there have been times in our lives when it's been difficult. And I kind of look back and say, okay, that was a difficult time. And what did I learn then that I can use now? Mm-hmm. Um, so some some of it it's that. Um, there's concern, you know. I love a lot of people, you know, who are close to me and I know well. And I kind of love people in general. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of concern. Um, I had a wave of sadness yesterday just thinking about that, that there will be suffering. Mm-hmm. And how do I hold that and hold that in a way that I can still creatively be of service and help from where I am. So, so how about you? Um, yeah, well, right. we're, I was question. thinking, I was thinking, Carrie, we're once again at that place where we understand at a very deep level that t- to love someone or something also means to make yourself vulnerable to pain and loss, inevitably. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. think of anything that doesn't go the way of the world. Uh, that I that I love and that I will eventually lose and I will I will suffer in in the process, uh, which of course for for most of us does not mean then let's stop loving, because then life is drained of meaning, but it, it means the willingness to enter into suffering, uh, and which also is related to compassion, the, a word that means to suffer with. Um, and so the, the the greater our capacity for compassion, the you know the, mm-hmm. the the more we'll understand a creative way to hold this hold this suffering, because as we've talked about on this podcast before, violence is what happens when we don't know what else to do with our suffering, what other than to strike out at yes. the at its alleged source. So it's this is really an important time um, nationally and globally for all of us to be exploring other things to do with our suffering than striking out at the nearest uh, quote enemy. But I want to return to a kind of very fundamental theme that you articulated when you first began responding to my question, "How are you?" And that is that this is an experience of losing control, or of, let me rephrase that, of realizing that there's a lot we can't control. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, I, I've been thinking about that lately, uh, because one at age 81, one of the things that I've been reflecting on very deeply is a very common experience of aging people, especially as one gets you know, past the actuarial numbers that say how long the average American is going to live, Mm. um, is the prospect of losing control. You lose control over over everything, from choice-making to bodily functions. And it's a very, very hard part for a lot of aged people. A very hard part of of the process is to hand your, your life over to a home caregiver or an aide in a nursing home or uh, whoever it may be, mm-hmm. um, you just, it, it's, it's something that we dread existentially. And, and yet, you know, if we're honest about it, we have lived most of our lives with great illusions about how much we control. 
you know, if, if you've been lucky yes. enough, if you've been lucky enough to establish a reasonably solid and good life, you sort of feel like, okay, I did this, you know, I, it, it must be because I'm clever or smart or whatever. Well, it's a lot because you're lucky. Um, and I, I, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to downplay the importance of thoughtfulness or skillfulness or consideration of life, but there is a lot of luck involved. And the illusion is created that you've been in control of all that and you can take credit for all of that. That just ain't true. And so part of what might be revelatory here is that it ain't true. Um, that, you know, you're, 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 we're, we're, we're relearning on a communal level that we, we aren't in control of as much as, as we think we are. And I know that the, on one level there's no comfort in that. But I have to say this about myself, and again, maybe I'm just talking from a particular standpoint of age and experience and, and uh, demographics, but I think that it's almost a universal truth that we do a lot better if we live in reality rather mm -hmm. than illusion. Mm -hmm. um, illusion is a very slippery slope no matter how comforting or how magnificent the illusion may seem because it's it will let us down eventually and and right now we're being let down by the illusion that we have control over a lot of things that we really don't have control over so is there comfort in settling into reality ultimately for me i think there is more comfort than buying into illusions and yes. I, I won't I won't tell the whole story here because we've explored this story on our podcast as well. I'm convinced that part of what led me into three deep dives into clinical depression, which were you know the equivalent of a personal pandemic, uh, was living on illusions about myself, about the world, about how we're connected and getting healthy, getting well and staying well depended on getting a grip on reality, the reality of who I am, how I'm related to others, and along what path or by what means do I seek my own, my soul's destiny. So uh, this has personal as well as communal meaning for me. And I, I so appreciate that, you know, that idea. And I think we were talking the other day that the word disillusionment actually means to separate yourself from illusion. Right. Um, that disillusionment may not be a, such a bad thing um, because it's an opening. It's an opening to see things uh, in a new way, in an open way, and, you know, that it's not comfortable in the beginning. Um, yeah, that idea of a, a sense of I, I don't have as much control as I thought I did. You know, again, that back of the brain goes, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And um, and I, I think a lot of feelings of uh, fear and anxiety come up with that, 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 that it's time to kind of look at. And that's part of that separating yourself from illusion and saying, okay, and, you know, what does this mean? And, and, and learning, as you were saying earlier, you know, how that helps me and yeah. ultimately helps me. Yeah. So let me refocus the question for you, because I think we would both agree that 
um, that what we're talking about, this ability to get through illusions and touch back in with reality, is, is a hoped-for outcome in all of this uh, for a lot of us. But en route to that outcome, we, we enter what some folks have called a liminal space, a space where we're crossing a boundary into the unknown. And as we all know, with, with that boundary crossing comes fear and anxiety and sorrow, uh, as well as positive insights about life, such as what's life really all about. But I want to ask you, Carrie, when that fear and anxiety and sorrow come, or when it comes to people you know and, and trust, what, what can you share about how to hold those shadow side feelings, those, those terrifying existential dreads um, that come along with this pandemic? I think some of that is coming back to, to a, a personal practice, a daily practice, um, things that always help ground me. You know, my daughter actually came up with this wonderful idea, uh, Amelia Aldred, and she uh, she told me about uh, creating a piece of paper, like a, a spreadsheet or a piece of paper, and then five sections, and then putting at the top of it five different uh, ways that she needs to be careful or actually to, to take care of herself. Because mm-hmm. we think about the physical a lot. Okay, we need to go get groceries. But you know, she, she had the five were physical. Physical, okay. And spiritual, uh, community, creativity, and then the space we are in. Hmm. Do you mean the physical space, Carrie? Yes, that physical space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like your home, your office, the, the space you're in. So in each one, she, she wrote down some of the things that are helping her person, that help her personally with each one of those areas of her life. And that would be different for different people. And I thought, what a great idea. And and then she could kind of post it and think about it. You know, what's my, what's my practice today? How am I caring for these different levels with kindness, you know, also, because I'm, I'm a hard worker. I could look at that list and go, all right, you need to do all of them today, you know, Mm -hmm. but, Mm -hmm. but to create the list with a sense of kindness and mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. for oneself and uh, for the process. So, I think I think um, that would be you know Amelia just had a really great idea and example of looking at what are the practices that have grounded you in the past and how can you use them now, and that's what I'm doing. And it also may be uh, an opening for. What new skills do I need to learn right now? Because I haven't incorporated them into my practice yet. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to be very open to that as well, because I think there will be revelation uh, yeah. on that. Yeah. What are, what are one or two? One, I love Amelia's list. And since I know Amelia, I'm just not at all surprised that she would come up with such an insightful thing. As I said, you know, I can, may I tell this little story? So you told me about this list the other day. But you could only remember the first four, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I and I said rather cheekily, I said, yeah. "Well, she she is your daughter, so I understand how she came up with that list. The only difference between you and her is that you can't remember number five, <laughs> <I can't> remember <laughs> and she's still all. young enough to remember it." So, <laughs> 
So, so, but, and it's, it's important yeah. to laugh at a time like this, which I think is one of our spiritual practices. But it is. Wanna, it's I, definitely a spiritual practice for you. And I know it is uh, for myself as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, you know, the bread of life that's unleavened by humor sits heavy in the belly is one of my <laughs> maxims of my life. Yes. So, so um, I want to ask, what are one or two of your specific spiritual practices that are, are pretty consistent in your life or maybe that you're even doubling down on these days? Well, I have a daily meditation practice of, of prayer and meditation. And so uh, it's very important to me. And, and even on a day while I'm very busy, uh, I have several things I need to take care of today. But to take that time to stop and do my meditation and prayer practice. Um, I'm reading poetry and uh, spiritual literature that, that always helps me. Um, I'm getting outside. I do live um, out in the woods, so I'm taking walks in the natural world every day. And yesterday the sun was shining and it was a, a new spring day, and that was really a, a helpful thing. Um, I'm playing music, you know, writing music that for me that's a spiritual practice i'm playing with my dogs you know i mm-hmm. finding laughter finding joy Th- these are troubling times but finding joy uh and and play as much as i can as as well so those are some of my spiritual practices mm-hmm. that i'm mm-hmm. that i'm paying attention to uh how about you yeah well thank you for the that list, um, Amelia's list and your own. Um, so uh, people are going to find this weird, but I'm, <laughs> I'm weird. So w- welcome nah. to the circus. Uh, <laughs> so writing is one of my spiritual practices. And as, as, as I know it is for you, um, and, and one form my writing takes is trying to do some really thoughtful posting on Facebook. Maybe every three or four days I have a Facebook author page. Um, and you do the same on your, on your Facebook professional mm-hmm. page. Um, and, and I've been reflecting for the last week or 10 days on the pandemic and on what I'm learning from it. Um, and I find writing, which I st- usually start doing at about 5.30 in the morning as a, as a discipline, as a regular practice, writing that isn't only in a private personal journal, but also f- for more public consumption, Yes, mm-hmm. I find it a very clarifying um, act and a, a spiritual discipline in its own right. Um, I also find it in such an interesting way I mean, I think the, the trick for me is is to write something for public consumption that is also for me. Um, it, it's a reminder to me of how I want to be in this, as well as a chronicle of how I am at at this moment. Um, and it's some of it is aspirational, you know, and it it's helpful to me to go back and say even a day or two or a week later and say, oh, right, that I aspired to hold this experience in a different way than I'm holding it at this moment. So it's kind of me, you know, talking to myself. Um, my wife and I also get out and walk. We don't live in the woods. Um, we live in a, in a neighborhood of Madison, Wisconsin. Um, we're lucky to have a 
pretty big park near us, uh, which we can walk through en route to walking through neighborhoods. But one thing that we've noticed is that right now, with everybody self-quarantining, or most everybody, our neighborhood looks like an old-fashioned neighborhood. I remember this neighborhood, these neighborhoods from the 50s on the north shore of Chicago where I grew up. People out walking, talking to each other at a distance, you know, but having fun, kids playing, uh, pets running around. Whereas normally in the modern, you know, the 21st century American experience, uh, suburban neighborhoods are kind of wastelands. I mean, you can walk, you can walk them for hours and not see anybody, or people won't greet each other if you do see someone the way they do these days. It's like we've had this big wake-up call. Um, oh, we are part of a community. We should greet each other. You know, we should say something kind to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and and we should just get away from our screens and our keyboards and get out and breathe some fresh air and see some buds emerging. Uh, unfortunately, today it snowed again in Madison, but that's the, you know, that's the, as a Southern humorist, Roy Blount once said when he came up this way from Georgia, he said, what you people have up here in the winter is not weather, it's divine retribution. So uh, I, 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 I've lived in the Midwest a lot of my life, and I'm still looking for the person who did the horrible thing that has resulted in this divine retribution. And when I find that person, it, it'll be front page news, believe yeah. me. Oh. But, but anyway, those are some of my spiritual disciplines, such as they are. And I have to confess that just sitting and staring out the window is a great spiritual practice for me. Yes. I don't know if it qualifies as meditation. Um, there's no guru taught me to do that, but I just enjoy sitting and staring out the window. Maybe uh, just because I'm an old man. I don't know, no, but it's the, spiritual. The first job of a poet is to look out the window, <laughs> to just spend time doing nothing but I looking. Like that. I, you like know? That. I like that. So... I think that's a spiritual practice as well, just being and being aware. You know, before we actually started this podcast, our amazing producer and and editor, Alison Quantz, we were in conversation, and she was talking about the same thing, that she was mm. walking, again, social distance out in the neighborhood, and that people were greeting one another. Mm-hmm. They were saying kind things to one another. You know, I was I was actually on a, a trail, a, a park trail as well, with a couple friends, doing that distance thing too. But it was so nice to be with them and to be in conversation, and everyone who went by, you know, was was making connection. You know, like, oh, what a cute dog. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this with people, but if you, if you say, wow, what a cute dog, they go, I know. <laughs> <laughs> They you ever notice that? You know, they've got great ears. I know. <laughs> that baby is so sweet. I know. I know. Yeah, with babies, I usually say, what a beautiful baby, but you know that. And they go, yep. <laughs> make it easier for them. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're the parent of a newborn, you don't have enough energy to make a longer response than that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, listen, it's wonderful to explore this level of things, this personal level of things where we have to say, you know, for better and for worse. I mean, we are all in this together and there's a a strong shadow side to all of this, but there is also light emerging. And I think we're trying in this conversation to honor both. Let's let's move to a next level of um, reflection exploration of this whole experience and maybe I'll just kick it off by sharing um, an observation that's been been very strong with me for the past week you know I'm I've been plugged into a high-risk category because of my age and underlying conditions and I've never ever in my life thought of myself as being in a high-risk category Mm. I've thought I've thought of myself as being a very lucky um, secure, relatively secure person as such things go. But having now been labeled high risk and being told what I should and should not do, uh, given that status, I have been thinking a lot about the millions of people around the planet who are in a high-risk category every day of their lives, yes. not because of age or health, but because of race or religion or nationality or gender or sexual orientation or poverty or war. Um, it, it has come to me that these people, I mean, it's not a thought I haven't had before, but it's framed differently now. These people live in nonstop pandemics of racism, sexism, nationalism, homophobia, structural economic uh, inequality, and armed conflict. And and here's the opportunity for me, Carrie, and I think for a lot of us. I now have a tiny, tiny window to glimpse at least a little, little bit of the experience such people have for a little while. And I guess my prayer is really simple. May I learn all I can, uh, and may my learning stick. Yes. Yeah, that that's a really important. When when we first started talking about that aspect, um, it was really eye opening and heart opening for me. Um, that when we reach the other side, and we don't really know what the other side of this is going to look like, but when we do, those who were high risk before the pandemic will be high risk after the pandemic still because of just who they are, and so. You know, that idea of what can I learn from this? What does this window give me in terms of of being able to be more compassionate, more understanding, more dedicated to do what I can? You know, I think that's really important. So thank you for bringing that up. Well, thank you for the affirmation. I, I think it's an insight that, for me at least, absolutely must inform all of my thinking and acting about this world from this day forward. As I say, it's it's an insight that hasn't been absent from my thinking before, but, you know, it's an interesting thing that when we get plunged into a situation that is in some way akin to people that we don't know or with whom we have, have yet to closely identify, suddenly the opportunity for close identification is there. 
Yes. And, uh-huh. and again, that's an opening into compassion, into suffering with. Um, and uh, again, I say, my window into that is tiny. It's, it's a pinhole, really. But I, I need to keep that pinhole open and keep learning from it um, as long as, as, I, as I live and let it inf- inform my life. And I, I really appreciate that. Part of my window is being a woman in the world, in our culture, you know, in terms of sometimes being a category of risk. Um, right. So, and I've, I've understood that. But yes, this new opening that feels, yes, like, like a small one, but one that I need to keep open and to be identifying with. And I think I, I think that may be happening with more people than ourselves, but maybe not able to articulate it yet. So I'm really glad that you're articulating it. Um, I'm starting to hear and see uh, these outpourings, you know, people who are taking this to be perhaps a time of creative caring, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been hearing about all kinds of ways that people are uh, trying to help those who are most vulnerable right now. Uh, funds that are being created for children who really rely on the school breakfast and lunch programs for food security. Um, people who are making it a point to contact those in their neighborhoods that are most vulnerable and and offer assistance in any way they can. I mean, people and people are you know. I'm looking at music experiences, um, you know, looking at what are my gifts and what, wh- how can I creatively use them from where I am? You know, mm-hmm. and I think, I think a lot of people, that opening is happening. They may not be able to articulate the part of it that you just described, but it's, uh, I'm here and my heart is here. Um, mm-hmm. And my heart is, is opening to this and how do I creatively uh, use the gifts that I have in this situation. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you mentioned the gender question, uh, which is always present in these important conversations, um, because it really leads me to want to say something to and about people like me, white, male, straight, well-educated, relatively well-off people who have spent most of this country's history in the catbird seat, right? Guys like me designed this country for themselves and for a very long time in a whole lot of ways, people like me have been the best supported by this society and people like me have been a real problem for that very reason because when when you have privilege but you refuse to acknowledge your privilege, and then you look out at everyone else from this catbird seat and make negative judgments this way or that based on sexism, racism, or, you know, poverty is their fault kind of thing. That, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Yeah. And it's, it's at the root yeah. of a lot of the critical social justice issues, social and economic justice issues in this society. And so I think... I want to say to myself and to people like me, that, again, this is an opportunity to look at the world through the eyes of the other. And it's, it's also an opportunity to stop doing what white males do so often, which is to shut down 
on the emotional dimension uh-huh. of th- things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of us are pretty good at cognitive functioning. We're pretty good at analytic thinking, the pe- kind of people I've described, because of the education we've been privileged to receive. But the feeling function is really underdeveloped uh, in a lot of the folks that um, I'm talking about. And that has certainly included me in the course of my life as well. It's a struggle when you're programmed the way I was, um, by not so much by my family, but by social conditioning to get in touch with your feelings. I think I started learning about this during my experience with depression when I ran across a book that has one of the most brilliant titles I've ever run across. Um, It's a book about depression among white males, and it's called I Don't Want to Talk About It, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is absolutely stunning in a title. So we have to start talking about it, Mm -hmm. and we have to um, take this opportunity to make our own breakthroughs and, and speak candidly, even confessionally, with the other, who, whoever that may be in our lives, uh, about, about critical issues. And I think, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're saying about um, the, the demographic you're talking about. But I think, you know, I'm also a, a Midwestern woman. You know, it's like you kind of like you say, nah, nothing's wrong and I'm, I'm, I'm here to help, you know, and you don't really, you know, there, there's a little stoicism there, you know, but I, I think there's a lot of a, a lot of uh, pushback just in general for people to not talk about it. So I, I think this is one of those times that there is an opening that that um, being able to talk to one another, to ask how are you, and to really mean it, and to really hear. And if someone says, "Oh yeah, fine," say, "Really," right. uh, and mean it with sincerity and kindness. So. You know, the, this opening idea, uh, I think that's one of my my hopes going forward. And, you know, you talk about how when you write, sometimes you're envisioning, you're, you're, you're writing into the next thing. And, and I do that a lot as well. But I'm, I'm hoping, what I'm hoping is that the other side of this, that, that there's an opening, but in some ways uh, will be offered an invitation Throughout this and and on the other side of this, when the world looks different, there will be an invitation to ask the question, what did we learn? An invitation to say, what do we need to change? You know, what changes need to happen now? What, Where were the holes in the system that we saw are right. really, really important and that need to be addressed? Um you know, where are the spaces in my life that I need to change or address? How do I continue with an open heart, that, uh, the way my heart opened, you know, in that situation? So my hope is that we accept the invitation to ask these questions and to make the changes that will become more and more clear to us. Absolutely. You, you put that in such a beautiful, inviting way. And I you know, I mean, I think one of the things that happens in our conversations that's so helpful to me, and let's just take this moment to urge people to have these kinds of conversations with yes. their friends and folks they trust, because even this one is helping me 
you know, to, to get out from under the waves for a moment, uh, and from underground, and to look around and see things more clearly, to breathe some air, to get some, some sunlight, some spiritual sunlight. Um, one of the things that, that needs to happen, I think, is a new level of candor and honesty based on the realities of personal experience during, during this crisis. And I, I want to point to, to one in particular that bears on what you just said about making the kinds of changes we need to make in this society. And this probably takes us to the final phase of this particular conversation before we have to sign off. But I've been watching over the last two weeks as a lot of people who two weeks ago were railing against big government and what they call, wrongly, socialism. Mm -hmm. They don't understand what socialism is, but that's yeah. what they call it when yeah. public monies are used to assist people in need. These people who've been railing against all of that and the deep state, meaning, of course, public servants who've, who serve in government, uh, many of them out of strong citizen motivation, now those same people are demanding federal intervention on every level, from healthcare to corporate bailouts and bank bailouts to fixes in the so-called free market that will save their 401ks. I know I'm talking straight here. Yeah, you and are. And it probably has a razor edge to it, but I think we have to talk straight. Um, uh, not in mm -hmm. cruelty, not to embarrass anybody, but just to name what's happening. Do they see what happens to their economic and political convictions when it's them and not the dispossessed that are at risk? Do, that would do they, be an opening. That, that would, would be, be a an opening. Yeah. Do, do they understand that the shift in their rhetoric, the shift in their ideologies, the shift in their, quote, convictions, is the fact that the people we're now talking about are not a lot of people in color trapped in generational poverty from the fact that this country began with an economic system rooted in slavery, totally dependent on slavery, and now dependent on the new Jim Crow. Do they see that when, quote, those people are not the ones suffering, but they the promulgators of the ideology I just named are the, doing the suffering because they've got now have a target on their backs. And when their personal storm passes, will they remember the way they flipped or will they flip back? And, and that will be something in terms of staying in conversation, staying in conversation with people across the spectrum because there is a possibility of revelation, you know, that in this time, the, the uncovering, the revelation, the revealing, the learning. Um, you know, I, I'm glad you brought this up because it it is hard-edged, but it is uh, accurate. And oh, so often, you know, ideas come to us, are propagated by all kinds of convention, maybe other people around us. But it's been interesting in my life when something I thought was true, I've needed to step back and say, 
I don't think it is. Um, I've been mistaken here. Um, it's, it's humbling. And I've had to go into that with humility. You talk about your deep dives into depression and what you had to let go of, ideas that you thought were true, but they weren't. They were illusion, you know? And I think about myself that way. How many times have I had to stop and step back and say, what did I learn here? Mm -hmm. I was mistaken. And if I don't do that, if I don't befriend my mistake like that, there's no way for me to to make the next step forward. Um, So I, I think it's really important that you just called it exactly the way you see it and the way you know I, I'm, I'm with you on on your assessment here that that's a social safety system caring for those around us um, that's who we are we all we have that little part of our brain that's all about are we safe are we safe but human beings also have this capacity for so much you know we're we're amazing we're we're interesting we're disappointing we're we're funny, you know, um, and we're courageous, and we're giving, and we're generous of spirit, um, and we make really bad mistakes, you know. Right, right. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I think that's going to be one of the takeaways of, you know, how do I look at this as a whole? Yeah, yeah, I I do too, Carrie. Thank thank you for that. I. You know, it's easy to extol the joys of learning, and (laughs) for me, there are a lot of joys in it, but, you know, when push comes to shove and that learning puts a mirror in front of us, and and we're forced to look at a face that we don't particularly like, that's when we stop learning, and in this case, we, we have to continue continue learning. And we have to we have to return to a very ancient understanding. Uh, I know that you and I are both intrigued with the ancient traditions of hospitality to the stranger, yes. which go way, way back in human history. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we know about much earlier times, before we were all living in a, our private bubble or living in a place where everybody else could ignore us or pretend to ignore us. One of the things we know is that back in the day, hospitality was strongly motivated by the fact that the person offering hospitality had a question in the back of their minds. And that question was, how soon will the day come when I will need the hospitality from someone else? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep weaving and reweaving the fabric of hospitality because someday I'm going to depend upon it. And we have to learn that in this society because this society isn't safe or good or healthy or for anyone, nor does it have much of a future if we can't understand that someday we're going to need it. And it won't be there if we don't keep weaving that fabric of hospitality for others and for each other. Yes, that deep, deep knowing, that, that that ancient practice of hospitality, the deep knowing that we are interconnected. And right. I, if this pandemic has, in a visceral way, um, proven to us that we are connected as people in beautiful and in terrifying ways. Hugely. Um, and so, you know, that, that ancient idea of hospitality 
It's deep within us, and it's a deep knowing. We know it, and we're being we're being reminded of that in a really important way right now. Yeah, as, as I said to a friend the other day, economic markets, financial markets, know that we're interconnected. Viruses even know that we're interconnected. Yeah. Although, as far as I know, a virus can't think. Now all that's left is for the rest of us to learn it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, if financial markets can understand it and viruses can understand it, then let's us let's us learn it. So we can we can go out from this podcast with both a a sobering insight and a laugh at our own expense. (laughs) Well, at the end of the program, we had thought about uh, having some music and the song we had considered doing was a song called Sanctuary that I I wrote, oh, about three or four years ago. Um, The song itself was written, I, something had happened, and I was in an airport, and uh, I emailed you saying, what does a person do when they're feeling personally or politically heartbroken? And you wrote me back this beautiful letter about taking sanctuary that there's times when we we step back, we we take comfort and we take sanctuary uh, in our communities, in the people we love, with someone personally close to us. Um, we we take that sanctuary. We gather courage. We gather what we need, the energy we need, because we will go back out again. There will be that time, but for now. For now, we, we rest in the arms of one another's sanctuary. So uh, so we thought that would be a good song. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great place to close out. It's one of my very favorite of your songs, and I often play it as a source of sanctuary in itself, and I know a lot of other people who do as well. And just one more thing. That story always reminds me, the story of the origins of the song, always reminds me of how you have redeemed, totally redeemed email for me. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no, I just thought email was an incredible nuisance, but I had no idea that out of email could come beautiful, beautiful music. Uh, so let's, let's hear the song. All right. Sanctuary. Will you be my refuge? My haven in the storm Will you keep the embers warm When my fire's all but gone Will you remember And bring me sprigs of rosemary Be my sanctuary Till I can carry on Carry on Carry on This one knocked me to the ground This one dropped me to my knees I should have seen it coming But it surprised me Will you be my refuge? My haven in the storm Will you keep the embers warm When my fire's all but gone? Will you remember Bring me sprigs of rosemary Be my sanctuary Till I can carry on 
Thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll check out the next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer, and much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, and production. And congratulations for the arrival of her brand new baby girl, Evelyn. In uncertain times, some things are certain, and nothing's more right than that. Congratulations, Allison. You can rest here in Brown Chapel Or with a circle of friends A quiet grove of trees Or between two bookends Will you be my refuge? My haven in the storm Will you keep the embers warm When my fire's all but gone? Will you remember and bring me sprigs of rosemary? Be my sanctuary till I can carry on, carry on, carry on.